our connection with others is as important as our need for food and for water and for air. And if you look at experiments that happen with young mammals like um, primates, and you take a young monkey and you put them in 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 an environment where they are separated from other monkeys or other warm beings, and you give them food and you give them water, and you give them medicine, and you have the temperature be exactly what they need, they will suffer to such an extent that they will die because what is needed is the warmth and the connection of being with other living, breathing beings as much as one needs food and water and warmth. And so sometimes in the way the teachings can be expressed is we forget that our connection with each other is really a very fundamental aspect of our sense of health and well-being and our relationship with ourselves. I was reading a book just a few days ago. Um, it was one that I hadn't seen, written published this last year, um, The Unspoken Truth. It's one of Peter Levine's most recent explorations of trauma. And it was um, noteworthy to me when in the, in the introduction to it he talks about getting in this horrific accident And here he is after 40 years of research and teaching on the nature of trauma. And he talks about this whole experience and what happened to him. And he mentions about four times in this storytelling that the shifting that made it possible for him to be able to access his what his own wisdom and knowledge and experience was, was the presence of a kind person who was able to hold the space and help him feel a sense of safety so that in that safety and in that sense of kindness that he got from the connection with this other person, then his wisdom faculties were able to flow. He was able to access the information that he had and the knowledge that he had about how to use his attention and his awareness in a way that would allow him to self-regulate and to be able to start releasing some of the trauma that he had just experienced being in this accident. And so uh, even in like the moment-to-moment experience of the way we have what we are having in our life and in our meditation, it is our interactions with each other and the quality of those interactions that have quite a significant impact on how we are able to direct our attention and what arises from that. And, you know, when we go on a retreat, oftentimes what we feel is is, is that what it's all about is us being sitting separately and doing this practice from the directions of a teacher. And we don't necessarily know that the field that we are creating is as much of an impact on how we are experiencing things as what we are doing with our own individual choices ourselves. And so today I would hope that we would have some opportunity to explore these um, paradoxes and move into silence and into a relational meditation practice, which I've learned from Gregory Kramer, called Insight Dialogue, which I'll talk about a little bit more when we get to that. Certainly, um, it's a growing interest and a growing concern Um, you know, what's happening with our planet right now and with the weather patterns changing and being completely unpredictable. And, you know, um, Erica was saying that last year when she planted the tomatoes, she couldn't get any tomatoes because it hailed the day that they planted the tomatoes. And and we're seeing, you know, weather patterns being disrupted on, you know, water patterns and rain patterns. And there was an abundance of snow in certain areas and considerable drought in other areas. And 
It's like, you know, our physical existence is dependent on the environment that we are living in. And as First Nations people, when I spent time with Aboriginal people in Australia, it's not only their sense that the environment was important, but who they were, how they located themselves, and their sense of spirituality was completely interwoven with the land that they were part of and connected to and in relationship with. It was not in any way separate. And so we have much learning to welcome and embrace that relationship to the same level that First Nations people have very much embedded in their culture and embedded in their own understanding. And yet as we do that, and as we begin to wake up to the impact of what's happening with the environment and our relationship with it, then we can move in ways where the decisions that we make, the actions that we take, and the lives that we're living are in accordance with that, rather than in discord with that. Just briefly, when we look at anatta, or the concept of not-self, it's not about that I don't exist and you don't exist. It's what it's about is, is that there isn't anything fixed and permanent to which I can find a me that doesn't change. And so as a concept, again, it's not an easy concept to wrap one's intellect around because it's counterintuitive. The nature of our perceptions is, is that perceptions separate. Perceptions have that capacity to locate forward and distance, something here and something there. That's the nature of our visual apparatus. That's the nature of the way we cognize things. And yet when attention begins to rest more and more in the present moment and we can see the choices that we're making that reinforce that separation or that begins to allow that sense of separation to come into um, more blur or those lines to start to melt and to become more diffuse, we can see the constructs that arise out of that separation may not also be something that are permanent, but can arise just depending on the conditions as they arise and cease. So, because we experience the world through our perceptions, through our eyes, through our body, through our feeling, feeling things pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, through the formations and the habits that we we have in relationship to all of that, to the sense consciousness which knows things as it arises, then our sense of self arises not only dependent on the experience that we're having, but dependent on the grasping onto the experience that we're having. And so this whole mechanism of watching grasping and non-attachment is also the whole important part of looking at the relationship between connection and what's happening in the present moment. When we stop grasping, when we stop identifying, then connection is possible. When we grasp and when we identify, then our ability to be fully present in the present moment is reduced, it's limited. And certainly we all know that. You know, when we get stuck in loops about thoughts, we miss the flowers, we miss the children smiling, we miss the sunset, we miss the beauty of the present moment and what's happening. You know? And when we are able to be with what's arising without rasping onto it, then it can arise in its own way according to its own nature. It can be known. 
and it can be allowed to release without extra residue of contraction or wanting or pushing it away. And as we can negotiate this ability to watch things arise, see the attachment, let go of grasping, then our ability to be present and to connect with whatever is happening in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, with the environment, with the people around us, is increased dramatically. So our capacity for connection is directly connected to our ability to let go into the present moment. So we have um, some hours today to work with these themes, to do this in silence and in a relational meditation practice that I will introduce. We'll have some time for a group question-answer process. We'll have some time for movement and awareness. So we have some different things to do today. How does that sound? Good enough? Good enough for bears?